squandering his possessions. He called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summons each one of his master's debtors, and he begins saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Amen. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we return our thanks for all of the good things which you have given to us. We bless thee for this privilege of worship this day. And we pray that through the holy associations that come into our mind just when we come to church, then when we sing the hymns, when we read your word, when we have it explained to us and we seek to grasp hold of it, 
We pray that the Holy Spirit will take hold of us and enable us to obey it. Take the gifts which we bring and use them to bring glory to your name. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. We want to thank Mrs. James Sullins, who is playing the organ today. Tom Starwalt is um, out of town. Now then, if you have your Bible or if you have a copy of the bulletin, take that passage from uh, Luke 16 and look at it. I put the title of the sermon this morning, Learning from a Rascal, and John Newton, uh, John Akers was back there before church and he said, what are you going to do, give your testimony? <laughs> and, uh, this, um, uh, the root problem of this story, of course, is the, uh, the commendation. To commend someone is to applaud or to praise what they have done. And the Lord applauds or praises uh, a man who is apparently uh, a dishonest uh, person. But there's one thing that Dr. T.W. Manson, I can remember years ago when I first went to Edinburgh, I went back in his study and put on his robe. It didn't do much good, but I... I put on his robe so that I could absorb a little of his learning. Dr. Manson said this. He said it was important to remember that there is a world of difference between saying, I applaud the dishonest steward because he acted cleverly, and I applaud the clever steward because he acted dishonestly. You see the difference? The Lord is not applauding the man because he was dishonest. He is applauding because he is a shrewd person. And he is saying that I want the children of light who are to be obedient to the laws of God, uh, to be wiser than these worldly wise people who can carry out such shrewdness as this man has carried out. And there's even more to this uh, story than meets the eye when you look at it first from Scripture. Apparently in this time there was a condemnation in Exodus, Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy of Jews charging interest against other Jews. And so the Jews begin to work ways of evading the law of God and getting around what is called usury. And one way that they did this was by entering into contracts where they would take certain produce, but they would really charge an interest rate that was illegal or impious for them to charge, but which the person had to pay in order to get the loan. And then the factor, or the steward, the man who oversaw the place, would collect this. Well, he knew it. The steward knew it. The person who borrowed it knew it. And the landowner knew it. But if this were revealed to the public, 
then the landowner would look impious in having charged the interest. And uh, so he wouldn't admit to it. And the steward was really very skillful in doing this thing because he put this master of his, who evidently was pretty squirrely himself, in having pulled this off on the spot. Now that's the one of the uh, interpretations of this passage of Scripture. So what is commended here is the fact that this man uses imagination in his worldly wisdom. He uses reason and he uses ingenuity. He uses all of these things in demonstrating something that Jesus wants his people to understand. That if they would really work at it cleverly and think about it, they could do great things in spreading the kingdom of the gospel. He does not commend the man for dishonesty. So let's get that plain. What he does commend him for is acting shrewdly. And what he does want to say is if people will really work at things like this for worldly gain, how much more should the children of light who claim that they're looking for eternal reward in heaven be working for the things of God? Now when I think about this, uh, I think automatically of uh, uh, how some people have been wonderful in spreading the gospel. I'll put it in a positive light first. I can remember the first drive-in church that I ever went to. Did you ever go to a drive-in church? That was quite a novelty. But some man had the good sense to understand that if people would put in drive-in theaters, why couldn't he put in a drive-in church and catch some people uh, that way on Sunday for the Lord? And that was a very good idea to have done. Uh, I can remember a man who uh, developed an organization called Inner Cristo, which is now one of the leading evangelical groups in the country. He was a person who was gifted in electronics and could see that a computer could be used for Christ and that by matching skills with vacancies and needs on mission fields, he could put the need of the mission field and a skilled person together and get them in contact with each other. And I can remember him flying to New York to meet with the settler of a foundation that I was a consultant to, and he explained it to him. And I can remember that old man who was a bear on Wall Street. I can remember how attracted he was to the wisdom of this idea of matching a computer uh, with the needs of missionary skills, and he gave him some money right away because he saw that this was a very good idea and that it would work and it's been used at Urbana and it will be used there again this year so that people who have skills in medicine or as Dr. John Ellington does skill in linguistics and Bible translation can be matched with appropriate needs where people come and so the Lord is using that ingenuity and that skill together and this is what we need to do I can remember when I came to Columbia Seminary and uh, had left there. I went to Waynesville and was pastor when John Ellington first came there. And uh, there was a young man. I called back to the seminary and said, I've got to go into the hospital for some surgery. 
and I want you to send me a preacher. And I said, you've got preachers and you've got preachers, but I want you to send someone up here who will win someone to the Lord. And Cecil Thompson, who was the director of field work, said, well, I've got just the guy you want. He was an Arthur Murray dance instructor. And I said, oh, no. And he, he said, no, wait a minute. He said, this guy is so converted, he'll hit your old town. You know who he was? He was Jim Kennedy. <laughs> and he founded the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. He's on nationwide television. He has a PhD from the University of Chicago. And he has... He used his imagination, he used his reason, he used his ingenuity in a remarkable way. And so what Jesus is commending here is that the children of the world are often wiser than the children of light, and that we ought not to allow this to happen. We ought to be thinking of ways to get the gospel out and to spread it. Uh, T.S. Eliot gave a great condemnation of a lot of people who cannot get excited about eternal things when he said the wind shall say here were a decent godless people their only monument is the asphalt road and a thousand lost golf balls and Eliot I think uh, put his finger on on something that's there by the way one of the big problems at Kennedy's church is whether or not to have two Sunday night services they have a huge uh, congregation there in the wintertime. Uh, now then, secondly, Jesus said, make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Uh, the word mammon of unrighteousness has to do with the acquisition of, of wealth. And it means to use your money in the right way for eternity. This morning, uh, Sam will be interested in this, and this is the first he knows about it. I've got one of those overnight, whatever you call it, that they show on TV where they make it get there in a hurry. I got one this morning. And you know what it is? It's the letters of Benjamin Rush, who was the youngest signer of the Declaration of Independence, not the original so copy. And uh, it came from Philadelphia. And it's on yellow fever and the epidemic that just really decimated the city of Philadelphia in the late 1700s. And Benjamin Rush, who uh, was raised by a Presbyterian minister, his mother and father died when he was young and was the youngest signer of the Declaration of Independence, a tremendous Christian and the father of American psychiatry, um, was a medical doctor who worked uh, very, very hard during that yellow fever epidemic. Many, 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 many doctors died and thousands and thousands of people died with yellow fever. And in looking through some of the letters in there, I saw one man commended by Benjamin Rush. And he said he treats the poor. And he said, I love him for that. And he said to me, I love to treat the poor because God is their paymaster. And I may meet him very soon. You see, he had his eye on his eternal reward. He was willing to treat the poor because he knew that they needed treating and he also knew that God pays well and that he would trust to that. And I like that very much. So make friends, it means to use the wealth that we have in the right way 
so that we can get the most mileage out of it for the Lord. It's a tremendous responsibility for us. And uh, he wants us to make the most of it for him. The most of it for him. I had an old friend who was very much of the opinion that uh, the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation was money. And uh, she used to always be afraid of money because she said it was a great responsibility and that God would hold her accountable uh, for it and that she was not sure that she wisely used what was entrusted to her. Now, most of us don't have that... Uh, we think we don't have enough money and we don't worry about it, uh, about how we're going to give it away all that much. But she did. She wanted to to be sure that it was used wisely and well because God would hold her accountable for it. And so God wants us to realize that the gifts that he entrusts to our care must be used wisely and well too. And there's something there besides money. We have talents and skills. We have youth. Someone has said that it's such a shame to waste youth on young people. Uh, when we get older, we wish we were younger. Why is it that we get so soon old and, and uh, uh, so young old and so soon, you know, we don't get smart quick enough. It's like equipping a, a respectable person with a dull, respectable person with wings to make him an angel. Doesn't look very exciting, does he? Uh, we need younger angels. And we think of them in that way. So if we're faithful to God with our youth, with our skills, with our talents, with our friendship, I think of the uh, effort that we, we put into friendship. Dr. Ellington this morning, uh, Don King, in that wonderful way of presenting the first part of the service, the other uh, friendships that we have and that we work with. We, we nurture friendships. Friendships take time. We have to spend time with other people. Uh, we have to give and take. Uh, it all goes into that. And friendships can be used for the glory of God. Uh, we can win people to faith in Him. Uh, when I was there in Philadelphia last week, I talked with um, one of the doctors about a friend of mine who was a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. A man that I witnessed to and I, that I had the funeral service for. That I wanted more than anything in the whole world to become a Christian. I prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. I have no assurance that he ever became a Christian. He once or twice made two or three things, uh, comments to me that uh, were a little bit encouraging. But do you really realize that we must make use of the opportunity that we have because someone will go out into eternity and we may not have witnessed to them about faith in Jesus Christ? Or are we just fooling ourselves and living only for this world? This is what this parable means. Be faithful with what you have and more will follow. Faithfulness of my stewardship over possessions, uh, over my friendships, over my time, even my body is not my own. 
My body belongs to Jesus Christ. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's to be used for His glory. And when we come into this time of the year, when we think of all the things that we have to be thankful for, and then when there is brought into sharp focus the people around the world who are in great need, and then the people near at hand that are in need, how much more do we need to be working to see that the Lord uses us to reach them with faith in Jesus Christ so that they uh, might know the blessings of salvation. What were the insights which changed this man? When he was caught up short by his master, he had a new appreciation for his responsibility. It dawned on him that he was a steward and that he had to do something because he was going to have to give an account to God. Do we realize that we too will have to give an account to God? If we do, then it makes a difference because the Lord is watching over us and that account which we give to Him, we want to be good. He had an insight uh, into life that he didn't have before. He went out to ensure that in the future... Uh, there would be something, some place for him to go. Uh, and he made shrewd use of his time. Uh, this is something that we also need to think about too. He saw his friends in this new light, and that caused him to think about that too. And then when I think of this, I wonder, we think how little we have, and yet, how God works with little things. This man's foresight and shrewdness secured him a place in the future. And his master saw this and was really, I think, outwitted by him and intrigued by him. And commended him for his shrewdness. And uh, we often find faults in a good man and commend him uh, and, and speak against him for his badness. But here, here's this bad man who does something that uh, is shrewd and the Lord says, I wish my people would show more insights uh, and be as quick because they are the custodians of, of life. And this he wants us to take to heart so that we will use it for his own glory. I saw a woman one time who had nothing but just a small house, a little adobe house in which to live, and lived on a retired school teacher's pay. And she put, over the years, about 30 of us through college. If it hadn't been for her, we could not have gone to college. And I've often thought, how wisely and carefully she used what she had. Many people would have thought, I only have this little house, I only have a retired teacher's income, what can I do? But she made it count for Christ, and she provided an atmosphere of learning and godliness, and inspired us to go on. And that means a whole lot. I can remember once... Uh, 
seeing Dr. John A. Mackay, the president of Princeton Seminary, some years back. He had come from the highlands of Scotland. He could never have gone to college had not someone else assisted him in what he had done because he came from a poor crofter's background and it would have been out of the question for him too. But when you think of men who have done good things like this, how it goes on and keeps on going. I saw once a hospital, uh, a sign on a hospital that was built by some person's gift of 47 cents that started the uh, hospital. And the, the doctor there told of how this little child had given 47 cents and had died. But she wanted other people to be cared for after she was gone. He told that story over and over and people gave enough money to build a hospital as a result of it. And so God can take even very small things and make them very large things for his own glory. And then when I think of the ingenuity with which this man came, I walked into the hospital the other night on Thanksgiving Day. I went over to the hospital because one of our friends had had some uh, apparent heart distress. And I saw there uh, a volunteer lady who had come in to work on Thanksgiving Day. And I thought of her giving her time in that manner. And it reminded me of something Dr. Oswald Hoffman told about not long ago. About a woman whose name was um, Mary Kitson, K-I-T-S-E-N. She had stopped simply at the desk in a hospital. And uh, she was visiting another person. But the woman at the visitor's desk knew that she was a church visitor. And uh, she asked about a woman named Sarah Evans who had been admitted to the intensive care unit. And the woman looked in her card and said, uh, you're not a member of her family, are you? And she said, no, but she has listed our church as her church. And she said, well, she doesn't have any family, so I suppose it's all right if you go and see her. And so Susan and Mary Kitson went in to see Sarah Evans. And when she saw this white-haired lady in the intensive care unit, the white-haired lady said to her, when she said, I am from the church, she said, what church? And she told her the name of the church. And then she said, oh, I'm embarrassed. She said, when they asked me what church I belonged to, I was ashamed to say I didn't belong to any church. And I just gave the lady the first church that came to my mind. And so uh, Mary Kitson said to her, don't be worried about this. I'm glad that you gave the name of our church because I want to help you. And she extended the love of Christ to this lady and spoke to her and prayed with her. And then she came back for those little five-minute 
visits that you get in the intensive care unit, then when she was moved out on the floor, and then later when she was gone from there to a nursing home. And a whole year passed by and the church really ministered to that particular woman. And Sarah Evans uh, became a vital part of that congregation without even having the privilege of coming into the church physically uh, down to the church. And when she died and they had her funeral service in the church, the whole church mourned her death because she had had an influence from the nursing home in teaching a group of boys that had been brought out there to her. And they celebrated her life. But this is how people learn to use opportunities, how by imagination and reason and ingenuity the children of light become wise and use their time or their money and are faithful with whatever little opportunity is presented to them and God makes it into something big and something good. When Jesus loves it, he can do great things with it. A little boy with five loaves and two fishes found that out. Let us conclude our worship by let us bow in prayer. Oh God our Father, we are thankful for the love that Jesus has shown to us and our dearest prayer is that we may love him more and serve him better. We pray that you will help us to learn even from a person that was not commendable a lesson that we ought to learn in using the opportunities that we have to glorify you help us to be good stewards so that what you've entrusted to our care may bring back glory to your name and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our keeper and guide be and abide with us all now and forevermore Thank mm -hmm.